0: Hello, and welcome to Long Range Sensors, the show where we talk about the fun that we had growing up with Star Trek in England, and choose an episode to reminisce over and discuss. Later in today's show, we'll be picking up the original series episode, The Deadly Years. But, as always, we want to take a moment to thank our founding member supporters over on Patreon, whose generous support helps make our show possible. If you want to find out how you can support the show and get exclusive benefits too, you can visit patreon.com slash long My name is Alistair. I'm a Brit residing on the scenic east coast of Canada, and joining me, as always, from all the way over in London, England, is a man who, of course, would never mistake a pre-ganglionic fiber for a post-ganglionic nerve, it's Mr. Trevor Whale. Yeah, you don't want to be doing that at work. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hey, Al. Today, I thought it would be kind of fun to talk about pets in Star Trek. So, I mean, when it, when it comes better, like, are you a cat person? Are you a dog person? Are you a tog person?
1: Um, I'm definitely a cat person. Um, I've, I've had cats. And, um, yeah, if I was going to pick, like, a pet to have... Um, it'll definitely be a cat. I like I like pretty much all like animals though. I don't really um, there is I'm not like someone that's like oh I like dogs and I don't like cats or I like cats and I don't like dogs. I like them <laughs> kind of you know I like all of them really. Um, if I if it was up to me I'd be uh, kind of like Ace Ventura. Um, you know when like his flat <laughs> he had like literally a whole like kind of zoo going on. Uh, you just spread um, your arms out be, and
0: everything just comes out from the cupboards and behind curtains yeah. and behind the bed. It's like come to me my jungle <laughs> friends and they all just like come
1: up to you yeah. <laughs> and then you can you know, use like strange little Morse code things with your keys, you know, to make to, to make them all hide when you, you know when your landlord to uh, to see mm. them. So yeah, um, that's probably what it would be like. And uh, yeah, there's a few uh, different types of pets that we know from Star Trek. So yeah, it's actually a, a, an interesting topic that I don't think people really
0: cover, do they? Twenty no, degree. And- and I think that it's probably one of the few times where we're going to have to say that join this Trek lifestyle conversation, uh, there's going to be a lot of spoilers, I think. Because as we start talking about these animals that come up in the show, it ties into quite a lot of plot points. So I, I think that yes. uh, if you are somebody who just avoids the latter half of the show to avoid spoilers this might have some spoilers for, for various things as well. So don't up. listen at all.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Don't, don't listen know. to the show at all, guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what spoilers will come up, but uh, we yeah. put the warning there. So there we go. My, my, my job is done. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll probably start then with your love of cats. Let's start with Spot, who's probably the most yeah. obvious pet. Not the first pet ever seen. In uh, in Next Generation, but certainly probably the most popular uh, for it as well. And I even had some fish when I was a kid. Oh, yeah? Yeah, one of the I, I named my fish out of characters off TV. Like, to give you an example, there was a blackfish that I had um, called Kit. Like, from Knight Rider, I had a, a,
2: a oh, fish
0: cool. um, called Herbie, who was actually my first goldfish. Uh, there was a couple of other goldfish I had. I had... Um, I had one that I did name Data, and I had one that I named Spot. So, oh, that's um, cool. <laughs> so, even from a young age, I was very influenced by Next Generation just on, on some of the names there. And I uh, haven't
1: used um, Star Trek, but um, one of my cats, uh, um, he was called Henry. He was actually named after Indiana Jones, um, as in his <laughs> Indiana Jones' real name, Hen- Henry Henry Jones Jr. Um,
0: which is also your Twitter handle.
1: Exactly, yeah. I'm quite fond of uh, Indiana Jones, but I guess. I call you using this name. Um, his name's are all. I don't really use It's funny. I don't really use Star Trek names for any kind of handles of anything, really. Um, I don't really have a favorite, like, yeah, I don't really have a favorite kind of character name that I think works for me in terms of any of that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can't I can't say I'd, I had a pet that I, I named after a Star Trek character. It's funny because like Spot, I, I wouldn't think of as a cat name, in a weird. Way. I think it more was like a dog name. <laughs> I, always thought, I always thought that was odd. The
0: um, Spot was called Spot. Yeah, but um, there was Spot the dog, isn't there? The little cartoon character. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so, so, but the the thing that always got me was just the fact that he's called Spot. He has no spots on him. No.
1: And in fact, uh, changes sex and breed like, like a couple of times uh, yeah. through the series. Um, it's like a short hair for the majority, like a ginger cat, like a tabby, uh, mm. a, a short-haired tabby. And I kind not know exactly what the other breed was, but it was kind of a long-haired, kind of fluffy brownish cat in one or two like episodes and also changed sex off of a couple of times, I think.
0: They had a few yep. cats play Spot. Yeah, they did. And the earliest one actually passed away, to my knowledge. Um, but the only reason was why... Monster. There there's one called Monster, I think, was one of the yeah. actors. Yeah. And the whole reason why he ended up changing sex, which is because Jerry Taylor, one of the producers on the show, just thought that Spot should have kittens. And that ended up happening in, in Genesis, when... Uh, spot ends up with about five kittens i believe
1: yeah like i didn't up the entire like litter was that yeah, genesis, sir uh, um yeah. and was it that was kind of helped with the the sort of that was the macguffin at the end of the episode that would help solve the issue i think
0: Isn't yeah because called? the the kittens the didn't have yeah because yeah. it was uh barclay's protomorphosis syndrome and they were immune. They did not carry the, the virus. So they were able to develop a cure from those kittens. And that's when Data
1: says, uh, Data says Picard is going to turn into a pygmy marmoset, which is like a bit kind of annoying, isn't it? If you're um, <laughs> de evolving, <laughs> um, it's kind of a terrible episode, but I kind of like it. The spot is integ- integral to the, um, you know, the, how they sort of fix it, basically, the dilemma in the episode.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I feel the same way about the episode as well, that it's it's always remarked as being a terrible one. But I, I, I like yeah. the concept though. I, I, I always yes. thought that, that was good. But we also find out from that episode that there are twelve male felines on the ship. So there's there's still quite a few other cats on board. And there's also been stuff just about the nature of the fact that obviously Spot changed sex, and that wasn't because of events in Genesis. It had always been referred to as a him, as a he. Ad writing. You, you know, like you've, like you've got Data talking to Worf and just saying, tell him he's a pretty yeah. cat and a good cat. <laughs> <laughs> and the he prefers feline supplement number 25. Uh, all this kind of stuff, which I, I think is great.
1: Yeah. I love the fact as well with Spot that um, like he or she, I guess, is ultimately what um, Spot was, um, hates like everybody apart from Data and, and Worf. <laughs> <laughs> um i think um yeah like, like wolf like basically babysits spot like um hmm. i think at least once um because uh spot was wolf was the only person that she, she was happy to sort of hang out with um so yeah that's kind of there was a little bit of a source of comedy i think maybe once or twice in yeah. the next generation um oh yeah like uh that was kind of funny um, I
0: mean, one, one of the things that i didn't realize until i was looking into this was that spot only appeared in eight episodes that was it oh
2: and, really
0: uh, yeah only eight um and then two movies as well uh, yeah but there have been explanations provided by various members of the crew including Ben Spiner himself as to to why we had a few differences like why the appearance of Spot changed why the sex of Spot changed and uh so one of the ideas was that spot could have been a shapeshifter or the explanation that i prefer is that it was a victim of a transporter malfunction yeah <laughs> every time all, all spot the, the, was beamed just not everything went egg. quite back in place <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um
1: like the breed got changed or oh, i think I, I saw another fan sort of canon thing where it's actually uh the spot is actually q and he just sort of <laughs> lives there's a part of like it's <laughs> like for his own amusement just decided to be a cat for several years um and you know that that explains like potentially like the sex change changing and the appearance changing I'm pretty sure they would they should really know they would have noticed that
0: I don't think um, he'd have liked wolf though at that point um but, no. but something that's kind of been a joint thing slightly slightly different theories but the the general idea coming from both um Brent Spiner and David Arnold is that it's actually multiple cats and the data kept getting new cats and just kept naming all of them Spot. And I love that. Yeah, exactly. I love that idea. Yeah. And that, to me, makes the most sense, that he was a male cat, and then something happened to Spot, so he got a female cat and also called it Spot. And that, to me, fixes my headcanon for everything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and it was just like, it was just the factor of... um, you know he didn't address the fact that, that he got a new cat there wasn't there wasn't any kind of an episode where you know that was talked about and which you know mm. the, the enterprise has its own life outside of you know the crew have their own life in between episodes and outside of that so yeah that's that's actually quite plausible um you know so
0: yeah and and then you've also got to think as well in all good things data in the future does have he's got like 14 cats And they've all got different names. So I also like to think that at some point in the future, he learned that perhaps he's supposed to name his pet something different each time, and then finally figures it out and starts giving all these cats all these new names. So I I, I always love that.
1: Yeah, he kind of became crazy cat lady, or a sort of crazy cat android um i suppose <laughs> um but yeah that that was kind of funny um how you know that that's that's how it that's how in the alternative future, future just went mental with the cats um they're literally yeah. just roaming all over this in he Was in cambridge or something cambridge university um yeah i think in that episode yeah so yeah um yeah that's 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 really funny that's the ultimate expression of data having cats <laughs> It just, it um, just
0: It wouldn't make sense if Spot was anybody else's pet. The fact that it's Data's pet, that all completely works. And and, and I love it. And there's there's been many cats throughout the series as well. Oh, yes. Like, Tasha Yar had a cat. If you remember when she's trying to escape the rape gangs, she finds one and tries to protect it in one of the flashbacks uh, that they have. Yeah,
1: where no no one has gone before. Yeah, um, and... um, it just kind of it's part it was part of the uh, the part of the galaxy that I got flung to which causes like you know dreams to come true and stuff and she was sort of thinking about a cat and, and there and it appeared
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and we we got a targ as well because the, uh, the targ kind of looks different you know quite a lot through the various series
0: yeah i mean typically a, a targ would normally look like a wild boar but with spikes on the back and yeah, we know basically that, yeah yeah we know that worf had a childhood pet targ and that appeared in When No Man Has Gone Before. It ends up appearing on the bridge. There was also Martok who had one when he was a kid as well. And uh, it ended up escaping. Like his wife just opened the door and it escaped and he never saw it again. Which is actually what happened to my cat. Oh dear. So in a weird way, there's a reason that I'm able to relate to somebody like Martok, leader of the Klingon Empire all because of this one time when uh, my father opened the door, let it out and there was fireworks oh, and good. it got scared from the fireworks, ran away. And that was the, the last that I saw Ben. So, uh. Well, that's horrible.
1: It's not nice losing a cat. I've I've, I've been there, unfortunately, but um, it's funny you talk about the Targ because um, I always thought that the Commander Krug's pet in Star Trek 3 was like, an, uh, like a Targ. Uh, no. But apparently it's just, like a monster dog, quote-unquote, yeah. is what it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. and and I, I love that it's because it's, it's kind of like, if you think of a targ as being like a dog, a monster dog is effectively like a wolf. And yeah. even when Krug is trying to get his uh, officers to feed it, like, these Klingon officers have fear about this thing. Yeah. Like, it's scary to Klingons. Yeah, it, it looks like some, something from Jabba's
1: Palace. In Return of the Jedi, <laughs> uh, it's it a, a little bit crap now, um, but and then the, the sort of comedic way it kind of falls over when the Enterprise um, fires a and torpedo, um, mm. a, a, the Klingon of bird of prey is
0: like, yeah, it's a bit janky now, but but, um, but, but this, it's this still is kind of thing. a cool prop. I mean, they they decloaked, You can see that the weapon was charging, but the Enterprise still fired first, shot and blasted it. It electrocutes the monster dog, and, and it falls over, as you said. And Krooge is actually really distraught. You know, he picks it up, and he's just holding it in his hands. And I would say, you know, pro tip, don't kill a Klingon's monster dog. Yeah, he kind of gets emboldened
1: uh, from that, doesn't he, immediately after, <laughs> and that's you know, kind of how they end up sort of firing
0: back. I, I um, mean, he, he manages and, to yeah. kill, and, and like I said, this is spoiler territory if you've not seen this stuff, but he kills Kirk's son. And he destroys the Enterprise.
1: Which is, you know, an eye for an eye, in a way. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, uh, you know, he takes two very important things away from Kirk in the same way that Kirk kind of took away his monster dog. So, you know, yeah, just put it there.
1: Quite an important little thing. Um, yeah. And, yeah, like and- I said later on, like, uh, the, the the Targ sort of, you know, is another pet that we we learn about, really, in Next Generation, I think. I don't think it's mentioned at any point before. Um, but I like... Um, um but balana nearly called a banana i don't actually call balana <laughs> banana torres quite a lot um for a laugh um B'na- banana balana torres um she used to talk about um, toby
0: the targ yeah um, the uh, educational Horror program
1: yes yes the one
0: designed for children which uh, which is great
1: and it's kind of a cuddly sort of looking targ which again like you've already said is like a basically kind of a pig with like fur and spikes on
0: yeah. Even it. Molly, uh so O'Brien's daughter had a plush targ that was named Piggy. And that yeah. I don't know if that was supposed to be like a Toby the Targ plushie and it's just that she just called it Piggy or whether it's just you know, it's just another targ, just like you could get any type of, of cat uh plushie or bear plushie or whatever. A bear plushie. That's a teddy bear. Um <laughs> you know what I mean. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I do like the fact that she's just cuddling this little tog. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: um, and that was, like, a childhood thing, wasn't it? And I think hmm. then, uh, like if you look on the internet, there's, like, people make them. You can find, like, you know, sort of a... how to make oh, really? Over to the tog. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh. yeah, you can look look at those um, online if you want, like, a, a fun little, slightly different than your usual Trek prop sort of thing. Well, so, I yeah, I do
0: have a tribble, so I obviously need to get myself yeah. a tog. So- to keep my tribal company the, 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 yeah. the, i think the, the other weird thing about targs though because they, they've got domesticated ones which they keep for pets and they've they've got wild ones that they use for sport to go targ hunting with uh, they also sacrifice them in klingon wedding ceremonies yeah that... and they even will use targ blood in gar and things like that there, there's a lot like targs are just a massive part of klingon culture
1: they either a pet. They either keep them as a pet or they eat them. It's it's you know I know there's obviously mm. animals that you know we kind of do that too. Um, so I guess we shouldn't. It's not too unusual, but um, you know it is a bit weird that. Um, well, yeah, like I said, they're such a big part. They're kind of used for everything, and you know, a pet or something you want to eat. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not sure. You have to be quite you know you might be a bit afraid of what your lot in life ends up being if you if you're a targ in clink in uh, on chronos um you know if you end up being a plush in mm. a soup or a pet <laughs> yeah
0: yeah <laughs> I, I i don't think i picked up on exactly what a targ was until ds9 though i i think it it's one of those things that's mentioned from time to time you did see one briefly in next gen um, but yeah. I feel with DS9 going so much more into Klingon culture than we'd ever had, I think it probably got mentioned a lot more and it became a lot more to the forefront of your mind. Uh, I think well. a lot of
1: it became... firm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Klingon culture was firmly established in Deep Space Nine, I think, and um, things like, you know, a Ruck to gino and uh, maybe some of these little bits were... Uh, Rokta-Gino is a Klingon coffee, but yeah, a lot of things... Um, perhaps they got a, a quick little one one sentence mention as a part of culture and maybe a Next Generation episode, they kind of would expand upon it. And it, obviously they introduced loads of stuff in Deep Space Nine, solely in Deep Space Nine about the Klingons
0: um,
1: mm. that, you know, has become, you know, is referenced in Discovery, you know, and stuff like like that. If things like Pets, yeah.
0: yeah. And talking of Discovery, uh, you know, if we're going back to Cats for a moment. They've got a brilliant cat in there called grudge absolutely massive cat um i can't remember what the breed is but it's supposed to be a breed that is pretty big uh but it's one of cleveland booker's cats called grudge uh, i think it I might speak. be a main
1: coon which is a which is a famous ginormous cat um mm. they are absolutely huge um but yeah i think it's one of them he was very cute
0: yeah i, I just love the name as well where it's like well she was it it was a she uh it, it's a she uh and because when he's explaining it, it yeah. says because she's heavy and all mine that's why he's named her grudge um which I, <laughs> I think is great uh i think the other great name for a cat as well was actually Barclay's cat in the voyager episode pathfinder because he names oh, yes. his cat neelix
1: <laughs> yeah and i've seen so many real life like cats of you know that trek fans have had um although actually like, um, someone on Facebook, I remember who it was. Hi, if you're listening. Sorry, I've forgotten who it was. Uh, But they, they, they shared a picture. Of, oh, here's, here, here's just taking a picture of my cat, um, Neelix. And I was like, oh, cool. He named him after um, Neelix. And Star Trek was like, no, I'm not a Star Trek fan, but I just uh, I had another friend who had a cat called Neelix and thought it was a cool name. I was like, oh, okay, cool.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Quite a common real-life Trek to uh,
1: pet name. Trek-based yeah. pet name.
0: I think the the last one that I can remember that actually made quite a few appearances was Chester, if you remember Chester.
1: Uh, Yeah, or O'Brien's cat that he kind of got after a a sort of undercover mission, I think. Yeah, it's when he's playing as
0: Connolly and he he got it from Bilby. Yes. uh, In Honor Among Thieves. And uh, I I, I do like that he got the cat in as a pet. And then they still continue to show they've still got this pet, which is very different to what it was like with Christina that was O'Brien's uh, tarantula.
1: Yeah, which is a lovely name.
0: That's only ever mentioned and appears in Realm of Fear in Next Generation. And he's trying to uh, sort of show how he was afraid of tarantulas and then he got one as a pet to try and come overcome this fear. And he's showing it to Barkley and he leaves it with Barkley as he goes to go grab um, something to drink. And Barkley starts freaking out as Christina starts crawling up his arm. Now, <laughs> we never... We never hear about Christina ever again. So I kind of wonder, like, did he panic as soon as the credits rolled, flung Christina across the room, and then maybe other people kind of screamed and stepped on her? Could that be why we never saw her again?
1: Possibly. Which is a sad thought, isn't it, really? yeah. (laughs) It
0: could be, (laughs) you know, uh, because we just, we never really see, like, he never takes Christina to Deep Space Nine. I I don't know how long Tarantulas live, maybe... Didn't survive that long. Maybe didn't survive the crash of, um, of the Enterprise in Generations in the same way that Spot did. Um, That's probably,
1: yeah. I mean, more um, so Picard's Fish uh, didn't, like, didn't survive Livingston. Though, I don't think. Livingston. yeah. Um, never apparently referred did to by name,
0: but did, did
1: Livingston appear again?
0: Uh, well, Livingston's tank is intact in Generations after it's crashed. And Ronald D. Moore said in a chat that Livingstone was living comfortably in the Starfleet pet retirement home. And I I love this as a concept as well, that somewhere there is a Starfleet-run retirement home for pets. So you you could beam in anytime you want. And I I, I picture it as being either a giant holodeck or like a series of holosuites for pets, for them just to live out their final days.
1: That'd be kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I think that would be kind of... It would be kind of great. I mean, yeah. it's Starfleet, so why aren't they just using holodecks and, and placing them in with a, with all the this other stuff that would make them really relaxed and comfortable? I think that would be rather nice. Yeah, I mean, um, it's... Maybe that's where Christina ended up. A great
1: place, uh, obviously, you know, if you had a pet on a starship in the 24th century, obviously you could take them for a walk on, on like a holodeck and, you know, you could do everything that you could do, basically, if you're living on a planet, which is, hmm. you know, so that's why it's probably quite easy um and well you could also you know do what um dr Zimmerman does and just have holographic pets um yep. so I don't know if that means you don't have to you can program them so they don't poo uh, don't need food or something <laughs> so they just you know they could just be kind of I guess the perfect pet um though that's not never made that's not really made clear with dr Zimmerman's what he had a, a, a an iguana yeah um I think a pet holographic iguana yes um, he did, that yes just sort of let, i let supposed hang out Mm. Yeah, uh, that was a holographic pet. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. And talking of like cats as well, there's like obviously an entire race in Star Trek, but you don't really see them in live action, um, called the Kate, the Cations, um, who are yeah. literally like kind of cats, basically like, like sort of humanoid cats, um, you see a couple like um, in the background in Star Trek for the Voyage Home at the end when Captain Kirk gets demoted mm. to captain, um, like blink and you'll miss them. And the one of the characters um, Umres, in the yeah. animated series is, is a Cation, um, and they even had some it's if- like Chitara and Thundercats, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. basically. And um, they even
0: had uh, some appear in uh, in lower decks as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, him back, uh, well, which I was very happy to see.
0: One,
1: the Doctor um, is a cation. Uh, very yeah. cool, like character. Very, very sweary, <laughs> but kind it, of like it's, it's definitely of, a
0: species it... that fits animation better as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's like you know they did a pretty good job of them in Star Trek. In, uh, Star Trek Four. If you look at kind of you know sort of set on set shots. But yeah, um, that's probably why they never were really able to integrate them into a a live-action series, because they (laughs) probably wouldn't be able to do it justice. But um, yeah, watch the animated shows, and they're quite prominent. (laughs) There's an entire race of cats.
0: (laughs) There's also been a lot of dogs in Star Trek as well. Uh, Do you have a particular favourite of the dogs? Yeah, Porthos.
1: Always going to be Porthos. Um,
0: Oh, but which Porthos? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> what would you mean that the mirror universe one
0: <laughs> where he's a Rottweiler?
1: <laughs> I mean, that's that's got to be the only mirror universe example of a pet, um, we see, um, I think. Um, mm. but yeah, it's interesting there's a different breed. Does, does, um, does,
0: do, do we include, I mean, because we've got Worf with um, Garrick as a pet, right? Does that does Garrick count as yeah. a pet?
1: I guess, um, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of, you know, an interesting dynamic they had in the mirror universe, um, but yeah, poor, uh, Porthos, yeah, obviously he's a beagle, um, mm. and, you know, a very prominent pet, um, probably more so than any other one, maybe in all the other series, really, because he appears quite a lot, you know, in, yeah. in either, uh, is it actually kind of the focus of an entire episode, um, um, a Night actually, a knight sick sickbay, yeah. It's mostly like kind of like a model, like um uh, not not, or not a real dog, but there's kind of a replica of a dog. It's kind of a weird thing to say. But um <laughs> you'll see if you watch the episode again, we don't want to spoil it too much, but um you'll see why they had to use a, like a you know, an animatronic sort of dog for a huge chunk of the episode. But but yeah, um well, we mentioned there's an episode where Spot is a prominent factor in how they resolve the the issue, but not really a whole like episode. And, uh, yeah, so Porthos is a very significant part of an episode. I think
0: people tend to say it's probably about the worst episode of Enterprise. But I, I think really liked it.
2: Going,
0: yeah, it's all right. I Because I, it just shows oh, so much of Archer and just his relationship with Porthos, who, you know, like you said, doesn't get much screen time. It's mostly just a dog that likes cheese. And Basically, it, yeah. It was, it was just nice to see that relationship kind of brought to the forefront really I, th- I thought that was really cool and if i was to get a beagle there's no way i could get one without calling it porthos it's just it's not possible
1: pretty interesting that it's a dog called porthos because i remember uh you might remember this as well but i remember a cartoon in the late 80s and early 90s called um dog tanyan and
0: the musker hounds yeah i remember that yeah
1: yeah the three musketeers but they're they're like dogs
0: oh god the theme tune's just coming into my head
1: it's like all for one and one for all monster <laughs> hands are always ready. I think that's what the theme tune is. <laughs> Sorry, is it, everybody is who doesn't one. know what the hell this is. Yeah. Um, look it up. I'm sure there's like YouTube videos about it. There's actually a dog called Porthos um, in that. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure oh, no one's to trying to, re- it's actually referencing that in enterprise by calling a uh, dog uh, Porthos. But uh, yeah, um, I kind of gave me that. I was like, I think as soon as I saw that he had a dog called Porthos, I was like, wait, there, there was that? I remember hmm. a TV show where there was a dog called Porthos, and it was that. Dog Tanyan and the Muskerhounds, um, which I think is Japanese, maybe? But anyway, we digress, but yeah.
0: But the, um, it seems that like every captain, other than maybe Cisco, has had a dog. Because Janeway has had her Irish setter that's always been kind of in a photo in her ready room. Um, because she left that with Mark back on Earth before they got whisked yes. to the Delta Quadrant. So she had that. Um... She was pregnant
1: um, at the time, I believe. Yeah, yep. Um, yep. And so, dog, don't... not Captain Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh,
0: yeah, Molly, it was. Uh, yeah, Molly ended yes. up uh, giving birth to a few other dogs that Mark ended up taking care of. Did we know what happened to the dog? Because obviously Mark left
1: Janeway uh,
0: when he thought she was dead? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yes, he did, yes. And And got um, married
1: again or something,
0: yeah. Git. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then you have Kirk, who had his dog Butler, who we saw in Generations had died, and he died in 2286, which was the same year as Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Yeah, um, yes. So when he's dealing with with the whales, that was uh, also... I'm very
1: confused as to to what that period is. Um, Yeah. I
0: thought it was like between
1: original series and the motion picture. Uh, that he kind of left Starfleet or something he's implying in that, and he he had a girlfriend and uh, yeah. who never was in the before, and then he went back. Oh, but then I was like, oh, that must be the most, which but like you say, I don't the year doesn't line up with that, does it? So it's very confusing. Yeah. Um so, but yeah, the I dog mean, always had really pointy ears. Like, oh, he picked a dog that looks a bit like Spock. That's, that's what I thought <laughs> as a Pick kid. <laughs> the dog that's had brilliant. really pointy ears, and, uh, and like <laughs> <laughs> again, this is well, a funny little anecdote of like when I was sort of introducing my girlfriend to Star Trek and we we're watching Star Trek Generations, which she really likes, actually, particularly that film. Um, and Butler came on the screen. I was like, look, it's a, like a Vulcan dog. Look at, it's, look at its ears. And she just again looked at me and was like, what are you on about? You complete idiot. Um, so, oh, but, yeah, yeah. Um, just watch it. The dog just looks like Leonard Nimoy.
0: <laughs> she just called it Spock, you know. So, so. so okay, <laughs> so this is the thing. It's it's a dog that looks like Spock. So he named it Butler. This is my Butler, my Vulcan Butler. Very odd. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Was, <laughs> so now we
1: know was how he thought huge of Spock as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was absolutely huge. And, Sp- and Spock had a pet, uh, a pet Salat or Salat, um, yes. which is like some terrifying giant bear thing mm. with saber tooth teeth. Um, yeah. Saber teeth. Uh, and somehow yeah, those
0: um, could be domesticated as well.
1: But, yeah, yeah the... you see it um, in, in the animated series. Is it e- mm. Echaya? um it's called. Um, so he mentions it in Journey to Babel as um, I had a little pet, and they kind of take the mic out of him. Oh, was it just a teddy bear? And he was like, "Well, it's got s-. it had six inch fangs." So, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Um, and then you actually see it, and it, I think it died or something trying to um, protect Spock from something some e- bad creature in the Vulcan desert. Yeah. So yeah, he also had a pet. So yeah, um, lots yeah. of pets in the original series.
0: Yeah, and of course, Captain Jean-Luc Picard himself also had a dog, which JLP. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Picard named his dog Number One.
1: Exactly, and um, actually, I think you only really see it in the first episode. I don't think you really. Where well, does it doesn't go back to his no, no, it's, vineyard? It's,
0: really? No, it's, it's it's considered a recurring character. We do see him oh. uh, a couple of times. I, it's probably, like, I struggle to recall, like, specific nuggets
1: of stuff from those episodes, probably because we've been watching them as they've come out, you know, I tended to, as yeah. soon as the episode dropped, I, I would, like, watch it. So, so I haven't, and also they're, they're new, so, you know, Next Gen and Original Series, ds on Voyager, those shows I've watched repeatedly, so, you know, I remember things, names of pets are and stuff, and when they appeared, whereas, yeah, Picard mm. and Discovery are still fresh. Yeah. Pretty cute little dog, though.
0: Yeah, it was, a, it was a male pit bull, which, of course, Patrick Stewart is an advocate for pit bulls. And so he, is, he kind yes. of insisted. And so they, they got a rescue dog uh, called De Niro. And I loved a comment from Michael Shabon when he was on the Ready Room with Will Wheaton. And I just remember him saying, he was the sweetest dog. He was not a great actor. And, <laughs> I think and they uh, always joke
1: about Spot as well, don't they, being difficult uh, to work yeah. with? Um, yeah, yeah, but Brent Spiner did
0: not enjoy the fact that Spot just would not do as it was. Told. I mean, it's a cat. What do you expect? You know, yeah. not exactly famous for... <laughs> no. Herding
1: cats is a phrase, right? <laughs> so, yeah.
0: <laughs> so now on Long Range sensors, we're picking up an original series episode, which means it's time to leave the animals somewhere safe as we head into the deadly years.
1: Yes. The years that are very deadly. The episode uh, where the the original series crew morph into their Star Trek 6, the Undiscovered Country versions, which is terrifying. (laughs) Absolutely terrifying. It's kind of a preview
0: of things to come.
1: It is. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to talk about how close they got to how they looked uh, in those uh, later years of the crew, you know. Um, going through, you know, the uh, the decades, yeah,
0: mm. and uh, and and this starts with the the away team beaming down to only to find that the expedition on a planet is missing. There's supposed to be six members of this colony, and there's just no one to be seen. No, I think they're going to resupply,
1: aren't they? A very kind of mm. boring, I guess. What would have been a boring like mission, really? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And and Chekhov kind of. Splits off from the group, and he walks into this dark room, turns a light on, and he sees a very old, very dead man, and starts to scream but for the captain. You know, he's like, "Captain, you would
1: you, you mean who, you would do that?" Of course.
0: Oh, I, I don't know why. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's
1: odd. It's like it's like it's like Jesus Christ. He's been put in like a building, dead, and just let to sort of lay there. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, maybe he just died, and they're trying to work out what to do. But yeah, kind of. Very creepy, very creepy.
0: Yeah. Well, McCoy does say that it is death by natural causes and old age. Spock starts to suggest that there were no old people on this expedition. There shouldn't be anybody yes. dying of old age. Um, yeah. And then we have uh, Robert and Elaine enter, this elderly couple, and we find out that Robert is 29 years old and Elaine is 27.
1: And it's, but they look to be well into their 70s and possibly 80s yeah yeah
0: it's it's actually quite an unnerving kind of thing like they they could have actually ended this teaser with just finding this old dead body but in very starship fashion just pushing that a little bit further and uh, i i really like where they went with that it's just kind of like yeah no, we've got this this elderly couple they're not really supposed to be that
1: old it's really um it i mean they, they didn't beam it's a good it's a great teaser because they're not beaming somewhere that's clearly a place where there would be jeopardy you know they're not on like a planet hell type set um it's a fairly mundane setting and there's no aliens you know they're not the the mission itself isn't one where we go into the dangerous so and so sector they're just going to resupply so there's really it's it's a very if you're watching it the first time it's very confusing as to what well you know that there's something happening to these people that that that's making them age very quickly you would obviously deduce that instantly um, but the one thing i picked up on actually was the the colony is at gamma hydra 4 yeah and gamma hydra is referenced in star trek 2 in the the kind of the the, the opening scene um where, where uh, Savik is undergoing the kobayashi maru test um and I think she sort of mentions they're going uh, they're near to Gamma Hydra um, at the start on the captain's log. And that also um, they're also near the neutral zone as well um, yes. in that opening sort of scene, And that is where they are. We, we hear about the neutral zone in this episode. So a great little kind of bit of, you know, um, referencing in, that, in Star Trek 2 to this episode, you know, um, that I picked up on.
0: No, I hadn't actually spotted that. That's actually really cool.
1: Gamma Hydra,
0: yeah, yeah. After the opening credits, we, we we find ourselves in sick bay with Robert, who's a bit loopy, just talking on about how Elaine is so beautiful, and he's just obviously out of it uh, at this point. Yeah, he's basically
1: Abraham Simpson. Uh, uh, this dude—that was, that was yes. the vibe that I was getting from from him. Yeah,
0: <laughs> absolutely. And the and uh, I think like two of them already dead. I think it was, uh, was one of the things. It was like two of them were yes. dead. There was four of them that were dying. Um, yeah. And, and Kirk immediately kind of theorizes that this must be because, as you've already alluded to, they are near the neutral zone. And so he just assumes that it could be a new Romulan weapon that they're using and testing yeah. on these colonists.
1: Which is an interesting theory, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's both a stretch and it's not. So...
1: Yeah, and it's kind of a terrifying weapon in like a weird way, um, but not very practical. <laughs> um, you've got no. like
0: and just blowing them up
1: or something, you know? I don't, I don't really know. It's like,
0: yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, then, then again, I mean, you you kind of think like, would the Romulans really do that? But they do end up. Uh, well, it's not really the Romulans; the Remans end up with the weapon that it sort of seems to just age people rapidly, yeah. not as turn you into stone
1: or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. We don't know a lot about the Romulans at this stage. I mean, bear in mind this is sort of early mid uh, second season. Basically, yeah. we've had Balance of Terror. I think that's it in terms of Romulan like episodes or Romulans being referenced he- heavily. We, we, um, we certainly know that yeah. they
0: are a big threat out there. Yes, yes. Know? So, and there's already been the Romulan War that was that predates the series. Um, yes, but they've they've also got a few. Uh, passengers on board including commodore Stocker, who is just basically just trying to get back to starbase 10 and this has kind of been a bit of a delay for him and there's also dr janet wallace who I, i'm not sure what she's a doctor of because she's in civilian clothing the whole time she looks like barbara windsor she does yeah and uh, it turns <laughs> out one of his old flames as well. Yeah. Yeah. So she
1: she kind of, he he likes blonde women, apparently blonde women who are doctors, Mm. you know, obviously, you know, about, um, Carol Marcus, um, like much later on, although I guess they'd already met at this point or they're about to No, they would have already been before. Kirk went on the Enterprise, um, isn't it? Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah. This is yet another one of his girlfriends. I'm not, yeah,
0: I'm not Yeah, I'm not sure how the time frame kind of works out. But they start flirting a little bit afterwards and talking about how the relationship ended because it was like six years earlier and it was just their careers that took him in different directions. That's why I think yeah. that she's not a Starfleet doctor. I think that she must have just been just a, a general medical doctor. And that's why she she's just think. hanging out
1: in a, a bright pink like evening gown Uh, the whole time like and this is the span of a couple of days like (laughs) you know so yeah yeah that's 60 star trek there you go
0: that's it and and she very quickly drops that she got married her husband died and kirk had also sent condolences to her when that happened but she admits to having only ever been in love with kirk which seems to be kind of Quite a lot to suddenly just drop in in the middle of this conversation of the Romulans might yeah. have this massive deadly weapon. <laughs> yeah, um, and she seems to basically be, saying, be trying to like crack onto Kirk. To be honest, oh yeah, um, that, that's what she I mean. Like, you're there was, it. Yeah, pl- there was flirtation at the beginning there. She was definitely trying to. Yeah, I mean, it's like you
1: got to be professional here, dude. You know, you're on like yeah. a starship, and you're a doctor. You know, we can't like, you know. Um, well,
0: well, he he already kind of says as well that if they did the whole thing over, the same thing would happen because he's like, "I'm not going to leave this ship. You're not going to leave your career. You know, it's there's no yeah. point in going through this all over again."
1: It's established so. now that Kirk is really in love with the Enterprise. Um, <laughs> um, so, you it's know, funny because it's like, true. Yeah, yeah. Aren't we all though, with Star Trek fans? <laughs> but yeah, um, he is like. <laughs> It was like established, like in like um, the naked time, I think, uh, when he's trying to fight the um, psi two thousand ps or whatever it's virus.
0: Um, mm.
1: uh, that that was kind of helped him break through it. Any time there's like a disease that takes Captain Kirk over, not in this case, uh, he'll think about how awesome the Enterprise is, and he'll like um, and he'll be like, "Yeah, I'm all good now." Um, so, so yeah, <laughs> um, the Enterprise is and, the cure. Yeah, just even in like Star Trek Three, I think he was more gutted that you know the Enterprise blew up than like Spock dying into some degree. Um, mm. So yeah, um, he he loved the Enterprise, is what we're saying there. So yeah, she can't possibly um, compete with that, I think.
0: No, and, and and he gets interrupted and called to the bridge. If only she was a starship. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> then she won't have a chance. But anyway.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, his, his duty to the Enterprise ends up taking him to the bridge. So he's, he's into it. Yes. So it just kind of proves the point right then and there. And yes. so he's called to the bridge just for Spock to tell him that he can't find anything. There's nothing unusual there. And Kirk has come onto the bridge and issued a command. I can't remember what the command was, but neither can Kirk because he issues it again, uh, completely unaware that he'd already. Oh, the orbit.
1: Uh, was it the orbit? Um, I think so. Yeah, the orbit, maintain something or other uh, level of orbit. Yeah,
0: yeah. Then we find McCoy with Lieutenant Galloway, who was one of the the female uh, officers on the away team, and it reminds she's done... me of
1: Lieutenant Hawk. I don't know why she looks like a female Lieutenant Hawk from Star Trek: First Contact. Oh, I want now to see that. On side yeah. by side. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> I got that vibe. I was like, why wow, is that Lieutenant Hawk's like mum or something or grandmother? Yeah. I suppose it would be. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, funny little <laughs> thing that I've noticed.
0: <laughs> but no, now that you mentioned that, that does. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and she, she's starting to lose her hearing, so she's having trouble hearing. And, he, and McCoy's just seeing it as just anything, like nothing out of the ordinary. I um, think he's
1: visibly grey down his sort of cities a little bit there as well. Yeah, Starts starting to paint not- greyness.
0: Yeah, and then we um, we get this happening quite a bit, that Kirk just keeps giving orders, still forgetting that he's given them already, and he's starting to feel a bit of pain, so he goes to sickbay for that. He points out that he can see that McCoy's going grey. And I do love McCoy's just snarky comeback of, you take over my job and see what happens to you. She, you get really defensive very quickly, McCoy, then. <laughs> yeah. like,
1: throw a the gets- freaking bone, dude. He's just trying to banter with you. He's like very, really, really grumpy.
0: He gets very grumpy in his old age. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's
1: clear at this point that they're getting the same, you know, disease mm. or affliction as, as the people on the planet. Uh, and they, And it's actually, I don't know why it's taken them so long to work this out themselves. But yeah, the, their penny isn't quite dropped yet, um, I don't think. But to us, I think it has as an audience, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and we find out as well that Kirk has arthritis. Like, severe advanced arthritis that's spread Yes, And just when you think, okay, so Kirk is the one in the worst shape, Scotty walks in, and he is just completely grey and just looking incredibly old and wrinkled. Yeah, it's like, uh, probably looks a
1: little bit better than he did in like Star Trek VI in some ways. Um, the, the weight didn't quite go on. Um, obviously we love James Do and we're not making light of any of that stuff but um, he, it's interesting that they show some people aging faster than others and how it's affecting them not, everyone's just, it's not just an arbitrary amount that everybody's aging is it in one go which is an interesting like way that. to do it Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I think it, it makes it a lot smarter that it is just affecting people differently and and, and I think, I think as, as characters I think they're probably
1: all in their 30 well I think Kirk actually says his age which is quite, quite interesting Later on, yeah, um, but I yeah, think they're he, he all...
0: says he's 34.
1: Yeah, and I think Spock is probably either a year or two younger, he's certainly in his early 30s, which is very, very young for a Vulcan. Um, and Scotty's probably uh, maybe the oldest, I would say, out of them all, probably mm. late 30s, perhaps. Yeah, would McCoy not be the oldest? Yeah, that's a good point, but it's hard to say how old he actually is, probably maybe 40 or something. Um, it's funny because I, I I I worked I, I read like randomly reading some random Star Trek thing that um, in Caretaker, Janeway is thirty eight, and I always thought of uh, I don't I don't really thought of her being that age in that episode. I thought of being maybe in her uh, early thirties, but um, we know that it's unusual for a captain to be as young as Kirk is here. Um, so yeah, um, she's he's young for a captain yeah
0: i mean given given the age that i saw it i mean i don't really think i ever really thought of what uh, janeway's age was i mean she was always there as aunt kathy she was just a uh... (laughs) nebulous kind
1: of older than (laughs) us when we're kids kind of yeah (laughs) auntie kathy yeah
0: yeah so so what what do you think of this makeup then
1: it's really good. I mean, I watched the episode um, on Netflix and the actual quality of the sort of the, the video quality generally was really, really high. I, can't, I haven't read about the sort of restoration of the original series. I know a lot about the next gen when they made that HD. I don't know if it was a similar thing where they filmed the original series of Star Trek and 35 millimeter like you would film a movie. So you've got that really crisp, grainy, high, super high quality video. But it looked really good, the actual video quality, um, almost like it is actually HD. And it wasn't like, you know, obviously this would have been shown on standard def. Um, yeah.
0: But the makeup holds up really well. Surprisingly so. Like it was very good for the yeah. time. Like it, it wouldn't hold up today in terms of being used that way. But how good it is, it's a lot better than you'd expect. Like when they've got, um, obviously they, they are using prosthetics in places for the wrinkles and things. Um, a lot of times it's just painted lines, but in some cases it is prosthetics. But you can't really yes. see the edges of them in the way that you would normally expect, especially in HD. No, where I, they I've blend seen makeup, really well. Yeah, I've seen it blend worse in Next Generation, in all honesty.
1: Yeah, and I think um, like uh, there's there's a few other examples it, um later on in Star Trek where there was someone aging or something. So they had to make someone look older. And I think of things like um um a later episode like an episode of Deep Space Nine, um, where Bashir has got to be aged, and uh, the one where oh, like that, a, that was a, awful. Like, like the Lethian. Yeah. Um and that doesn't look too great. I mean it's fine, it's functional, but it doesn't look any better than in that sort of, you know, pushing thirty years after this. Yeah. Um it's not really any better or even back to the future you know, which is, I think, hmm. a movie that I think you'd like a little bit, Al. Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to criticise it too much, but um <laughs> even that doesn't probably look that much better than what we see and that's, again, 20-odd years later. So, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if that's we're, we're throwing shade on the makeup artists later on or if it's a testament to how good the people in the 60s are that worked on the show. I think it's just how good they were. They were just brilliant yeah. at this stuff even then.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that Scotty probably did look the worst out of all of them, though. Like If you're um just more in that sometimes the makeup just looks like his skin is peeling off in places yeah it's kind of cracked in yeah. weird ways like especially around like his lower lip there's like a line that kind of looks like it's peeling in a weird way um not yeah. that it's kind of like this the makeup peeling off it's just the way it's designed so that looks a bit weird but i mean these people are just aging rapidly so it yes fits, it works I, I'm, yeah, I'm not complaining relatable. about it, it. it
1: your immersion isn't broken by the makeup at all. Um, it absolutely, even even now, you know, even further down the line than when we talk about like the 90s makeup, um, it doesn't affect the the believability of the situation at all. It's it's good, it's really
0: good. Uh, and as we said, like, it's it's just the away team that are aging, like nobody else on the ship, it's just them. Um, apart from Chekhov, yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah, because Kirk's silverhead mccoy's getting really wrinkly and, and aging now probably looking the oldest out of all of them but yeah, yeah Chekhov is okay and he's just in the background doing physical tests and things and yeah. spock then announces that realistically based on their condition they've all got less than a week to live but their mental faculties uh if anything declining even quicker than their bodies are which is yeah. kind of problematic i i do love the banter between spock and mccoy where McCoy's kind of telling him that he's in perfect health, and Spock saying, "Actually, no, I'm. I've got this thing and that thing." is like, "Yeah, for a Vulcan that has the body of a, a hundred-year-old plus Vulcan, you're in really good health for a Vulcan that's that aged." So yeah, it's it's also like
1: in, uh, we don't again. This is still fairly early Star Trek. You know, generally, I mean, we're in the second season of the original series, but it's, you know, in the mm. you know how how old it is now, it's still the first couple of years. Um, so the law and the world building, I hate that word, but world building of like what the different races are capable of. I mean, we, I think we already know at this point that Vulcans live longer than humans. Um, I don't think it's established firmly that, you know, they live to be 200 and something. Um, but yeah, like it's interesting that Spock, you know, is someone that's approaching 100. I think like Spock is pretty like in his 90s or he could actually be 100, I think, in Voyager and looks like a man in his sort of 30s. Really? Mm. Um, I think topol is like 60 or 70 in Star Trek Enterprise and she looks like, you know, someone in their twenties. Um, yeah. so it's interesting how those, like how Vulcan lifespans are kind of treated as we go through, like, like the series. Now it gets a bit more solidified. Um, what, oh, to know, be Vulcan. Their lifespans are like, indeed. It, yeah. Well, that one, I'd love to be able to live to be 200 or 300. It would uh, be great. Although I wouldn't want to get like Panar syndrome and all that stuff that is a thing that Vulcans can get. But yeah, Um, it's interesting. It really, um, this really establishes how different Spock is, um, Mm. you know, to the rest of the crew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Then we find out that the, the lieutenant is now looking incredibly old, even though she's only supposed to be 10 years younger than Kirk. So she's obviously around 24.
1: She's turned into the female changeling.
0: That's yeah, she's just aged quicker than anybody. Um <laughs>
1: Yeah. And McCoy actually sort of says um people's metabolisms are just different and some people will yeah. age quicker because of their metabolism. And that's um what happened to Lieutenant Galway um here. Yeah. So yeah. I, I love when she looks
0: in the mirror and she's like, That's a stupid place to put a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a really funny comment. That's like you can't laugh
1: because it's like hor- horrifying what's happening to her. Yeah. But yeah, a really interesting comment that they sort of threw in. That's kind of comedic, but yeah, yeah. If a, 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 what is an otherwise horrifying moment?
0: And just and just the mental toll that it's taking yeah. kind on of, her as well.
1: Yeah, and they put her on a bigger. She's obviously wearing a much bigger uniform. Um, as well to illustrate, you know how you know they're sort of wasting away. That was that's a nice sort of effect that they're yeah. doing as well with the with members of the crew to make them look like they're aging. They're giving them bigger clothes to wear and stuff. Yeah,
0: absolutely. We we also get to this point where Wallace is at it again. She's still trying to, as you so elegantly put it before, still trying to crack onto him and yes. uh, onto Kirk and, and talking about how she still hasn't managed to get over him. Yeah, Kirk really kind of puts her in a, a, a place because he's kind of pointing out that he's getting older now. And so he's like, well, what do you want from me? Love or going away present?
1: Yeah, very, very uh, cold and a bit callous there uh,
0: is, is Jim. Yeah, and, and given how you kind of see Kirk as this kind of ladies' man who just sleeps from one woman to the next, episode to episode, for him to throw yeah. out a line like that you know, do you want love or just a going away present, really kind of shows just where his head is at. And he's kind of like, look, if you're just after a one-time thing, that's not happening. And I can't give you love either. That's not happening. Game over.
1: Basically trying to say that he doesn't want anything to do with her, really. Yeah, Um, Yeah, shutting it down. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And you could also argue that, you know, his aging is causing him to be a bit grumpier. Like like I say, he's got a bit of an Abraham Simpson vibe going on now Mm. um, uh, with that. I mean, I was, I was a bit. I mean, she's just on, on the ship, I think, because she's going to be taken to the space station where the Commodore wants to go, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't think she was doing any kind of a mission or anything. Um, no, no, she's just there as a passenger. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and she's really there. Mm, she doesn't really got. there's not much point in having her in the episode, to be honest. I mean, you get these couple of extra little moments. She just almost feels like she's in it just to pad the time out a bit. So there can be a couple of extra scenes with her with Captain Kirk. Doesn't yeah. really add anything. The, the episode could, would work perfectly fine without her in it at all. Yeah, um, and so, the yeah. only
0: thing it does is is give us moments like that. But yeah, yeah like you said, it's it. not really important to the plot. The, the, if anything, what I would have liked to have seen is the stuff more that Chekhov alludes to because he starts going through a massive rant and ended up having to actually grab the quote yeah. so that I didn't miss anything. Where he has some more blood check off. The needle won't hurt check off. Take off your shirt check off. Roll over <laughs> check off. Breathe deeply check off. Blood sample check off. Marrow sample check off. Skin sample check off. If, <laughs> if I live long enough, I'm going to run out of samples. <laughs> Sulu's like, you'll live. And he's like, oh yes, I'll live, but I won't enjoy it. And it's, it's yeah. like, he's gone through so much off screen and you've got to think, like, he's the one who's doing the best, but he is not having a good time at all.
1: No. Um, and it's it's another little odd bit of comedy in an otherwise very grim episode. Um, <laughs> yes. I think maybe they feel like we have got to have a little bit of, like, a, a bit of, like, fun banter because it's going to get quite heavy. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, but it's – also, Chekhov is, um, you know, I, I think probably up to this
0: episode, he hasn't been developed too well.
1: But you get to see that he has a bit. of... Him and Sulu have a bit of banter. Um, yeah, well, he's you know, new in this um, season as well, isn't he? So we're, yeah, we're
0: only halfway through his first season.
1: Yeah, he's got like the terrible wig on in this episode, I think, which he's had since he started. Um, and um, it just goes—you kind of warm to him a little bit in this episode, I think, because of the banter oh, um, that he has.
0: Yeah, I just—I feel sorry for him because he's—he's he's going through a rough time. I mean, so so is everybody else who's dying, but you know that's <laughs> by the bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I do like the Commodore, even though um, Wallace isn't really that necessary. I do like the Commodore because he he's genuinely wanting to help. And, yes. um, you know, especially as Kirk is still forget, continuing to forget orders. He, he signed a pad and has forgotten that he's already signed it uh, as well. And the Commodore just comes across as somebody sincere who's just aware of the situation and just trying to do what he can like he's wanting to get to starbase 10 thinking they'll find better answers there with better equipment on board whereas kirk's like no the enterprise has everything it needs here uh yeah it, it, it's kind of the uh,
1: trope uh, that we have in the original series we already had it um in the episode we covered the galileo 7 where there was like an like a high up official who was kind yeah. of just there to kind of add a bit of extra jeopardy because they just want to get on with their mission uh, mm. and they put a, uh, they put kind of a stop clock on uh, the on uh, the, the mission really uh that Kirk has to try and keep to um but this uh it's, it's basically the same character as like the uh, the ambassador in that but yeah. not, he's still in the he's right not, yeah, yeah he's in the right but he's also not like um he's not a dick about it really um he's is no. genuinely concerned really about the
0: crew um they don't really dislike him particularly no um, he's just kind th- of you can to, see this. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, but there's definitely a lot of compassion and empathy from yeah, him as yeah. well. He's not actively working against the crew, really. No, he's just yeah, No, yeah. He's, he's he's looking out for best interests. Especially when you've yeah. got Kirk falling asleep in the captain's chair, which is That's kind not of funny really, as well. Yeah. Um, and then Spock finds out some of the solutions to what's been going on because he finds out that the planet's orbit went through the tail of a comet that's nearby and that was filled with radiation. It's that radiation that has affected them. So Kirk yeah. decides to send a message to Starfleet and uh, instructs Ahura to send it over on Code 2, which he hasn't remembered that the Romulans have broken, because this is a very Cold War-like stuff. And so she kind of, you know, points That's it like out. An it's like an encryption
1: thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's
0: it. It's like, okay, we'll use Code 3 then, because uh, they figured that out, which, again, is, is kind of neat. And that comes up later. Uh, but he is getting increasingly frustrated because every command he gives, somebody is questioning it or saying, you know, there isn't. You're forgetting this, and you've
1: reset it. Yeah,
0: yeah. And 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 Spock is struggling with things as well. But for him, it's not frustration. It's just the fact that the ship is just getting increasingly cold for him. As he gets older, he's just not dealing with the temperature well.
1: Yeah, and I think as well, um, we know that Vulcans live on quite a warm planet, so. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's kind of adding another little bit of extra stuff to add to Vulcan history and knowledge and biology that we know that we're sort of getting these little bits um, come come through as the episodes go on in the original series, yeah.
0: yeah, And and, and this is where we get the Commodore really showing that empathy because he's talking to Spock about Kirk going insane, but he's speaking very highly of Kirk and being very respectful and asking Spock to take over as captain. Spock ends up insisting no, you know, that he is trying to back his captain. And that although it seems like he's doing okay, because he's half human, he's still struggling more than he would if he was a full Vulcan with everything that's going on with this affliction. So the Commodore is like, well, in that case, we need to have a mandatory competency hearing, which Spock is opposed to. But I just, I really like, it's really worth watching just this one scene with just how the Commodore approaches it. With that empathy and saying, like, you, we really need to, you know, even though we don't want to, this yeah. is basically where it has to be.
1: He's basically, uh, the, he's seeing the bigger picture, really, as opposed to yeah. just it's not, he's not being, you don't, you don't, you don't think of him as being selfish or again, working against the crew. Um, no, he's not he's like, I want to take
0: support. command, he's just like, no, you should take command, we just need somebody else because we're going to be in trouble otherwise. He doesn't have
1: any ulterior motive, and like no. I said, he's not as kind of obviously like an, and like annoying like uh, you know, in the Galileo 7, um, the ambassador <laughs> there. And the fact I think he's actually a Starfleet, well, he's a Commodore, so you'd know, you hope that he'd be able to relate to them a bit better than perhaps some ambassador would. And that's basically the case, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And, th- and then we find out something kind of sad, and that's that Lieutenant Galway has died. And which yes. also makes them realize that if she's dead, then they've only got days, if not hours, left.
1: Yeah, she's basically been the she's basically been the the sacrifice character to sort of increase like the jeopardy in the episode. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's sad. It's it's a sad um, moment, regardless. Yeah.
0: And then we get a, a long hearing. Actually, it it's on. It's quite long. There's a lot of repetition in it because they really want to hammer home the fact that. Kirk is just constantly forgetting all of this stuff. It's just yes. it's hammered in, and it's kind of done to, I, th- I think, to the breaking point of it, I think if they did any more, then it'd be way too much. I was still starting to feel it a little bit at that point. Um, I
1: get the impression with this whole hearing that, um, that um, it was kind of shoehorned in, potentially, and mm-hmm. I don't really feel that, you know, as a kid uh, watching the episode. But um, re rewatching it now, I kind of feel like they maybe felt they didn't have enough um, in in the main plot of the episode to go, you know, to last a whole fifty minutes or forty eight minutes, whatever an episode of the original series lasts. I think it's about that. Um, so they kind of did have to pad it out a little bit, and that probably explains the sort of romantic character the yeah. uh, 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 the, the Doctor being being added in that's uh, Wall- um, Wallace, uh, and then having this hearing. Now I kind of feel like it was probably shoehorned in because they wanted to pad out the running time. But it still works, you know. Um, but there's nothing... I, can't, I can imagine as a Commodore, he could probably have just have ordered Kirk to step down, you know, without the need for a hearing, really. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't quite... If you really think about it, it doesn't quite stack up as to why this thing even happens. But it's an entertaining, you know, scene, like, like regardless. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. because I think normally you would just have the chief medical officer just relieve him of duty for not being fit to perform. Yeah, But there's a lot of kind of going and having people like uh, the yeoman testifying about the pad being signed. You've got Uhura talking about Kurt forgetting Code 2 being cracked by the Romulans uh, and things, which in a way that's good because, again, it comes up later. So it, it just kind of makes you sure that you don't forget these things that have all happened. And then the computer... They all feel
1: very bad for, you know, they all feel very, very guilty as well for kind of basically showing how vulnerable Kirk is at this point. Um, as yeah. Well. So it kind of does show how they, they, they really appreciate the captain and how much of a bond they sort of have with him. Yeah.
0: yeah, Because they're, they're, they're still trying to tiptoe around it, and, but they know yes. there's no other way of saying it other than this is true. And then yeah. the computer estimates Kirk's physical body as being somewhere between 60 and 72 years. When he's supposed to be 34 and this kind of ties into what you were just saying because mccoy is really reluctant about agreeing with that computer's assessment and yeah. and then ends with and i am sorry jim because he knows that his testimony if anything has just given the decisive blow to the entire proceeding and it's interesting
1: because when uh, mccoy like, mentally doesn't appear apart from just being a bit grumpier doesn't appear to be like mentally affected as much as maybe Kirk. Um, I mean, yeah. we don't follow him around in the episode as much as we do. Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk's kind of the main character in, uh, um, in, in this episode really, but um, he doesn't appear to be as affected. I mean, he still helps to, you know, um, research what's happening and he's obviously participating in, in this. So yeah, interestingly, even though he kind of looks about the oldest mm. with how it's affected him, apart from the yeoman, um, it isn't affected him mentally in the same way as it appears to be doing to Kirk, yeah.
0: And and he's getting very irate, and, and whilst Kirk is trying to defend himself, he's seeing that the only reason that this entire hearing is even happening is because he was refusing to leave Gamma Hydra 2, at which point Spock corrects him as Gamma Hydra 4, and, and Kirk yes. is just calling it a slip of the tongue, but then he does it again. Uh, with the other stuff and you know he, he realizes he's losing command and so he wants everybody to test his memory he's like ask me questions and nobody asks him anything everybody's just there in silence and he tries to prove that he's still fine by saying look i know that we are here at gamma hydra too and it's just complete awkward silence because yeah. he still yeah. hasn't picked up on it and they don't even uh, correct him <laughs> no no fine. everybody's just like point? looking down yeah. at the floor it's awkward and yeah. spock suggests that he leaves to uh, so they can make the outcome. But Kirk is still disillusional about the outcome. He's still convinced that he's going to come out this okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show... He's kind of getting annoying now as to how stubborn he is. You kind of just want to say to him, like, come on, mate, you know, it's just like, for the good of, like, the ship, really, we need to kind of move on from, from this now. But he's just... um it's, it's, it paints Kirk in a, uh, it shows like it, 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 you feel for him. You really do. You feel like, uh, mm. Shatner's performance is just brilliant. And, um, you can see him breaking down very slowly and, and the, and the denial is kind of a bit embarrassing, but it's because the Shatner's done a, is just a, a brilliant, uh, um, in this episode, very, mm. you really feel for him, um, as a character um, even though you know it's inevitable that he's gonna have to give up the ship really and you know, um, for, for anything good to come out of this.
0: Yeah. And then and then you end up feeling really bad because you've got the, the Commodore who says that because he's the flag officer, he should take command, which Spock protests, because the Commodore has never commanded a starship and is obviously thinking it's a lot easier than a space station, which you know, he's he's no Cisco. <laughs> It's
1: interesting because, um, be it, like, to get to the rank of commodore, I mean, in my in my mind, you would have had to have probably been a captain at some stage. Um, yeah, because Commodore's it is one rank. Ab-
0: it's it's one rank above captain.
1: Is it one above captain? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that makes me think he probably would have done that at some point, but um, they sort of established that he hasn't commanded a starship. So I well, guess you could just have a career just commanding uh, star bases and yeah. and get to that rank anyway. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I was confused as to when I first watched Deep Space Nine why Cisco was only a commander. Yeah. Um, I do not know if they are making a point with with that, but obviously, like you know, he gets promoted um, anyway later. But yeah, yeah if they didn't that,
0: have the that, defiant. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, if he, yeah. even if he didn't have defiant, defiant, he could still have been promoted to captain whilst he was on Deep Space yeah, Nine. Yeah, exactly. So, so it, it yeah. makes sense. Um, it's very different. It's a very different life as we've seen from Deep Space Nine. Um, yeah. But his first command is when you start getting worried and you're, you, you realize the depth of this situation and Spock's concerns because he immediately gives the command for them to cross the neutral zone. That's bad. Yeah. And he's very blasé about it. Um, yeah. It's like, what the... Like, how, why, why would you... Do, like, the, the whole point is, if you cross the neutral zone, you were basically triggering a war.
1: Yeah. Um, and we know the Romulans and the Klingons on their part of it um, are very quick to try and, you know, um, attack anybody that goes into it. Um, but he doesn't really seem to have considered um, any, any of this stuff. And I, my, it, But the it, crew yeah.
0: <laughs> tell him. The crew tell yeah. him and he ignores them and puts the entire ship in danger. It's, yeah. It's, it's crazy that nobody stepped in to just go, look, you can't. You, we you know this is going to cause problems and then I, I i don't know it's i think it was probably just an awkward situation yeah and uh, i mean he, he
1: really wants to get back to his space station i can't remember if there's actually like um for some reason this completely passed me by but i can't remember if he had some kind of urgent thing that had to had to ha-
0: happen i feel that with the way that the crew were suffering from this affliction he just feels yeah. getting them to the star base Is going to be the best thing for them. Yeah,
1: I think that was the urgency there. Um, Yeah,
0: it's like this. We'll take this shortcut, but yeah, yeah, it's too much of a risk.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, you're potentially going to get the ship destroyed, you know. So it probably is better just to take the. uh, Presumably, they're going to go a long way round to get to the space station. If nothing, you know, if everything was normal. So yeah, it it kind of it's um, a little bit, little bit of a silly bit of the plot. I think that that the Commodore would just do that without really thinking and not ignore the advice of everyone that's more experienced than him. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, when, when Kirk finds out about it, he, well, he doesn't even find out what the order that's been given. He just finds out that the Commodore's in command. And he's like, are you crazy? Yes. You know, and, uh, and, and then he starts going off, because this is when he's got Spock and Dr. Wallace stopping by his quarters, and he starts calling Spock traitorous. He's like, you're disloyal. You stabbed me in the back. He's really at wit's end with him and, and tells him to get out and that he never wants to see him again. It, it's almost kind of heartbreaking to see it get to that state.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I actually thought it was quite odd that he was so quick to jump down his throat um, considering he's his mm. best friend. But again, uh, um, you, you could probably, you know, you could just say that, well, this is the, this is um a symptom of what he's going through, you know, the aging. I mean, he might have like his memory might be failing. It's making him more paranoid.
0: I mean, we've seen how McCoy reacted as well. Yeah. So it, it, it yeah. certainly fits in with that characteristic for sure. Yeah, But Wallace, she stays behind when Spock leaves, gives her condolences to what he's going through. Uh, Kirk is insisting that he's still sharp as a knife, you know, and he's like, I admit yeah. I'm getting gray, but radiation will do that to you. Yeah,
1: he just says that as a, you know what bloody radiation's like. It's like annoying, you know. (laughs) I found that actually quite amusing, that line, even though it wasn't supposed to be. It was also sincere and serious, but yeah. (laughs) We all know that radiation will do that to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, make you you a bit moody and like, yeah.
0: (laughs) But but then they switch to a scene where suddenly Kirk and Spock are talking again which I just put down to maybe Kirk just forgot that he had that argument with Spock. But they're all realizing that because Chekhov's the only one who hasn't been affected, that he'd split off. And they start to realize, well, he obviously got scared. His heart was pumping. He was obviously getting more adrenaline. And then realizing that that's what's probably kept him safe. McCoy's remembering stuff from what he calls ancient history, which would have been present day for yes. in the show, <laughs> about you know, being used after the atomic age, that they were using adrenaline to help treat radiation sickness. Yes. Now I don't know if that was a valid science that was being pursued at the time in the sixties. It may have been. Something that was being looked I'm into. Because sure. a lot of Because t- a lot of the time Star Trek will, you know, they'll look at what scientists are researching and bring that into into the show. Yeah. I'm so inclined might to say been- it
1: was. I'm inclined to say it was, but I can't. I can't say 100, percent unfortunately. But um, yeah. it seemed plausible. Um, I yeah. think. I think I've heard of that as well in real life as being a treatment for radiation. Certainly at that point, you know, the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So, yeah, um,
0: yeah. I think it was probably an accurate thing. I do like that they say that they abandoned it after hydrogen was discovered. This uh, this miracle thing that helps with radiation sickness, which again is so, well, is kind yeah. of like with. The lithium crystals, like we don't have a thing to do warp drive, but then we find the lithium crystals, and it's a lot easier, and we don't have to explain it because it's science fiction. It's
1: basically the it's basically the MacGuffin that needs to yeah. sort of solve you know the whole thing. But the, I like I do like how they start to the penny drops as to what the potential cure for this is. I like the fact that they just talk about it and they break down what what ha- happened. And yeah, McCoy basically touches upon the fact that when you get scared, you you know you get your adrenaline levels go up. Um, and that's when that, that's where they, they land upon. Uh, and there's no techno, techno babble. Obviously, people, you know, um, throw shade on Voyager for like they all they just spout these lines of nonsense techno babble to get to the final MacGuffin that they have to build or whatever to solve the dilemma. Whereas this is just they're just talking about normal stuff that we can all kind of understand. There's no gadget they build or technical thing. Um, It's just sort of bits of medical science that they kind of quote. And it's all plausible. Mm. It's just a great um, MacGuffin, really, um, that, that they use as the actual solution here. I like the way they, they, they stumbled across it.
0: Yeah, and then we have Spock, Wallace, and also Nurse Chapel, all working on this adrenaline solution. And and she's in the back. She's been in this episode a few times, but doesn't say a single word. She's just a background Nurse character for, for this one, yeah.
1: And the Enterprise is being attacked at this point as well, still. Yeah. There's sort of you know, explosions and...
0: From, from all sides. Yeah, three
1: Warbird, yeah. three Bird of Praise, I think it is, yeah. So this is To screwed. begin Big with,
0: time. like, we see yeah. more appear later on, but Kirk's trying to get to the bridge, and they're preventing him from leaving his quarters. And the Commodore, meanwhile he's just wanting to explain his reasoning for violating the neutral zone. He's like, if we just tell them, maybe they'll understand. Uh, he's he he's com-
1: useless. He's utterly, yeah. utterly useless. Um, uh,
0: Ohoro basically points out that he's completely clueless about Romulans and that that is not how they work. We, we even have Chekhov, yeah. uh, where, when he's saying, like, well, we've got no choice but to surrender. Chekhov's like, so the Romulans do not take captives. Basically, a- anyone else on
1: the bridge at that point in time would be more qualified to command the Enterprise. Chekhov would do a better job, and he's, I don't know, <laughs> like 20 or something. He's like just, you know, not only out of the academy probably. Uhura would be able to, Sulu. Um, yeah, um, to be honest, I guess if, if it went on longer and longer, I'd, I don't think they would just sit there and let this out. Well, it, I think they're implying that the Commodore... Kind of loses it, doesn't he, a little bit, and sort of doesn't say anything mm. and isn't able to talk. He kind of goes into like shell shock, yeah, kind of. Um, so if, 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 if the issue didn't get resolved with the you know the aging, um, and you know the crew weren't able to come back, the, the, the main sort of command crew, I think probably they would have to think Sula or Cheka would have had to have done something, they would have had to sort of mut- mutiny against the, the Commodore, I think, otherwise, they'll die you know, so um, it mm. would have been an interesting like, you know, how that would have developed if things took longer than they did.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think who would actually be the next commanding officer, given that we've got Scotty out of the loop, McCoy, Spock, um, Probably Sulu. I, I think Sulu, yeah. yeah. I think Sulu would be the, the next in command on the bridge. We know
1: ultimately that um, he does um, become like a captain, you know, the only one yeah. that does, actually, uh, out of the, well, the Spock and uh, scotty uh, have the rank of captain without actually you know captaining a starship but um yeah i think it would be sulu um i think chekov obviously does have a brief period in we well we see him in command of the enterprise in star trek 5 and he kind of does good question mark <laughs> um, in, in that sort of brief scene or few sequence really that he it is but um yes i think it would have been sulu that would have taken over um but yeah
0: I I love that Spock comes in and he's saying how like I had no time to refine the solution, and yeah, he's holding
1: a beaker with like some like whiskey in it or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's but like it could cure or it could kill. It's like yeah, those are good odds. I, mean, I guess toss of the coin. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's a hell of a that's a hell
1: of a odds to go against. But well, they've got no choice really. Um, yeah. and, and Kirk that demands
0: one. that he take it, yeah. not McCoy, because yeah. he's like, look you know this ship is being attacked so his faculties are, are still with him enough to realize like he needs to save the ship um which, yeah which uh, which i appreciate and you you see how painful the whole process is because he's kind of strapped down or not strapped down he's held down as he's writhing around in pain and screaming yeah it does not seem like a very pleasant experience to to de-age really So a no. lot he did with cgi a um, lot less painful
1: yeah, but it's a great, um, again, um, that's where there's a lot in the original series because you just couldn't really like um, the film, this sort of stuff in those days. But I think it's a better way of doing it than just guess, showing yeah. some awful, like, like I don't know, the, the bits of prosthetics just, they have, they do have several shots where they fade between the, the different stages back to him looking hmm. normal. That probably would look kind of cheesy and a bit crap. So I think it's a better way of doing it is just to show, you know, not his face and just him writhing around on, on uh, the sick bay bed. Um, I think that's yeah. a good way of doing
0: it. Yeah, I don't think you can show stuff more terrifying than people's own imagination sometimes. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. You know. Kirk, thankfully, survives, and he, he storms onto the bridge just in the nick of time and just immediately takes over. He's like, you know, I, you know he's demanding emergency power. He's saying to help Starfleet, and he, want, he makes the order for it to be sent on Code 2, which Oho uh-huh is like, okay, what the hell? Code two. Yes, <laughs> we've just had this conversation four times already.
1: So, but a great like use of uh, the firmly establishing that there's a code thing and there's a right yeah. one and a wrong one from earlier, foreshadowing, and now yeah. it's being used to help you know resolve the uh, the situation there. And that's actually great, a great little yeah. plot and, element and he doesn't there. Even, yeah. yeah,
0: he doesn't even have to explain what's happening. Like the show is knows that you're smart enough to know exactly what he means when he's like, no, "Yeah, I'm assisting code 2. And he says, like, yep. they've accidentally veered into the neutral zone. And then he's informing Starfleet that he's going to detonate the ship using the Corbomite device. Yes, And, uh, and warns that all ships will have to avoid that region for the next four years. And that he's set the yep. destruct sequence to one minute, which is, is brilliant. then he ends it, sets a course to leave at warp eight, you know, so they're all prepared to go. And just as expected, the Romulans start retreating because they have obviously tapped into this code that they've already broken.
1: And they've seen the message. Yeah. And it's a great, um,
0: yeah, it's a brilliant tactic.
1: Yeah. And it's a great reference again, uh, to a previous episode, the Corbamite maneuver, yeah. um, which I think is the third, the third episode of the, of the original series that won the first one after the pilot, the, the, the second pilot, mm. um, which is interesting. I think it didn't get shown until about four or five episodes in, um, when it was shown originally in the sixties, but, um, yeah, a great little reference, because he used that same, basically, um, it's almost like the Kirk manoeuvre now, um, where <laughs> he's just yeah. going to blow something up using Corbamite. So, yeah, that's a great <laughs> reference to um, a previous episode. Like Again, like, it seems like, oh, why is that impressive? But in those days, you know, very rarely would an episode refer to something in a previous um episode so when you get those little nuggets it was kind of mm. you get a little you know as a fan of the series you'd get a little kick out, out out of it so yeah that was kind of a fun little thing to include
0: yeah i think the assumption was that for every show that's out the audience will normally only see like a quarter of it exactly like yeah so you, you wouldn't yeah. normally get those references but yeah absolutely brilliant.
1: yeah
0: and then they managed to warp away and the Romulans are caught off guard so they have no way of catching up and uh, which is brilliant. And then there's just this nice conversation between the Commodore and Kirk where there's no real animosity there. Kirk's just kind of settling things straight and just reassuring the Commodore that, like, there's very little that a can do that a Starship cannot. And, and with respect, the Commodore points that that's very true when you have the right man at the helm. Yeah. It really speaks to his character where he knows he was out of his depth. And uh, and has a lot of respect for Kirk, as he as he'd mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, there's no malice from from uh, the Commodore. He wasn't there to no. kind of be an like um, um, someone that was just there to irritate the crew and 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 to be an antagonist like yeah. other sort of ambassador type characters are. Um, yeah, well, they'll come on and they just, they just
0: want command. Yeah. They just they just they're like, I'm taking command of the ship. And he he was He only took it because he felt he had to, that there was no other choice at that point.
1: Yeah. It was just very by the book. Um, and he kind of did probably all the correct things that are in the book, really. Yeah. But unfortunately his own lack of experience with starship command um, really was where he fell down a little bit there.
0: Yeah. Cause I think even, even when he was having that conversation with spark, he was even saying like, please don't let me have to quote, you know, article numbers and things like that. You know, yeah. Where he, is, he was you just know.
1: doing it by the book. And um, that's it he was a good cat. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a good, good, good character. And not, you know, nothing. Uh, he was, he was empathetic and, 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 you know, um, generally, um, benign and wasn't really out to sort of work against the crew. He was just trying to help them really. But unfortunately, you know, his lack of experience is what kind of caused more issues, especially at the end there. Um, but it wasn't through, you know, any kind of, malice or any kind of you know trying to screw everything up for everybody which is kind Mm. of the cheesiness you get with some of the other ambassador type characters who really are do get feel like they're just getting in in the way just because i don't like captain kirk or something but yeah you didn't get that at all and it was kind of refreshing to have that kind of twist almost on that kind of character that has appeared a few times in the the original series
0: absolutely this is also one of those episodes that i had on vhs because most of the original series i watched just as reruns that were airing in between seasons of the next generation on bbc2 but this is one that i had on vhs and it is one that i've watched many times as a child and i must say i didn't pick up on a lot of subtleties about things like the commodore when i was younger and i think because of how often i watched it as a kid i've not seen it that many times in more adult years so i've tried to focus more on the episodes that i didn't get to watch over and over uh, at that time so it has been kind of fun just revisiting this particular one
1: yeah um like i said for me i oh, watched we were talking about it before um uh, we actually started recording i don't think i've actually watched this episode like sat down and said right i'm watching this episode aside from catching bits of it when there's been reruns in the last sort of 20 years probably mm-hmm. the last time would have been when i was a teenager Um, when I actually sat and watched this, because we talked about, you know, how we watched Star Trek on video and recordings and stuff, because that was the only way we could watch them, really, when they're not shown on live. Um, But, yeah, I would have watched it probably a load of times um, from, like, a VHS recording of when it was shown on BBC2. So, you know, um, I remembered pretty much everything that happened in in the episode, but it was actually the first time I'd watched it, and also with, like, analysis kind of mode on, and not just sort of sitting back and just relaxing and watching it casually, it's the first time, and it's a testament to it that I think it holds up. I mean, you get obviously, you know, um, like you are probably going to m- mention it anyway, but you do get the 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 cringy sort of let's take the, the Mick out of Spock bit at the end when I think McCoy says he's preparing the um, the sick bay for Spock to have the uh, the dosage of the antidote when um, he's removed all <laughs> the breakables or whatever it was. <laughs> that's
0: that's, it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, he's like, you'll be glad to hear. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and I think, you know, he looks like, you know, he's kind of managed to last longer than all the other crew because obviously Vulcans just live long, longer. Um, but he probably wouldn't have been that much long longer had this cure not, not come along. But um, yeah. yeah but, um, but even
0: at the same time, I think it possibly is more the, I think Vulcans are more resilient because when you look at Galway, she was the youngest, but she died yeah. first. And it's all to do with how your, your metabolism and everything else works. So I I think it's less to do with his age and his overall lifespan, and probably just more that biologically he's more resilient.
1: Yeah, um, and his demeanor and his general way he approaches things in life probably helps him as well Mm. um, in that. But it's interesting that we were talking about Sulu um, being in in command. Um, I think one of the very last things that uh, Kirk does in this episode is he tells Sulu to take over right at the end.
0: He gives him command
1: so that's interesting we're talking about it
0: yeah he even gives him the auto light steady as she goes and uh, and Sula's response is aye steady as she goes and Kurt yeah. just stops and goes did I just say that <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah I mean it's, it's that funny thing that a lot of these uh yes the end of the episode and it, it's a funny thing that a lot of these episodes that can have quite a grim plot which this kind of is really um a kind of disturbing plot they always try and get that little bit of, like, levity at the end and a bit of banter mm. on uh, the on the bridge. I mean, I've said already that there's the trope of, you know, let's take the, the mick out of Spock a little bit, and they kind of do that a little bit. Um, and then we just have kind of that 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 joke at the end. But sometimes you kind of need that a little bit for some of these episodes because it's kind of a tough ride, you know, some of the stuff that the crew goes through, and especially this episode. And it kind of – you just feel relieved at the end, and you kind of think, oh, thank God, you know, they're all good. Um And having that little jokey moment, I think helps helps uh, with that. So I kind of like, like those. They're, they're they're cheesy, but you probably wouldn't say that stuff if this was really ha- happening. I think people would be probably quite traumatised um, by by this stuff yeah. for weeks potentially. Um, But yeah, they're, they're they're nice little moments um that we have in the in these episodes. But I mean, one thing that I did think of immediately, and again, this is just from being a bit more of an analyst about what is really happening. I mean, this like antidote i mean i mean obviously the aging would cause you know obviously all this the things that happen in old age you know some of the things which many of which aren't very pleasant you know like memory loss and
0: illnesses and, and stuff
1: and arthritis and like, like dementia and all these horrible things that, that can happen to you mm. um and i mean did this like memory engrams probably like got destroyed and stuff M- maybe I also don't really know um as part of this process and i guess like this antidote would have like kind of restored them or something or like, yeah, it's, it's just adrenaline that you kind of like a modified version. I think it was fox said. So it's interesting you know, what they, this antidote actually did to kind of repair the damage, you know, sort of, mm. I mean, their skin, would, would that not get damage and their muscles and stuff. But that's me being super like nitpicky about how this antidote would have even worked.
0: Like I, I love that Spock is is obviously coming up with this actual solution with adrenaline, but I would have found it amusing if somebody had made the suggestion without realizing that that would be something that would be possible. Would just to have Spock going around just terrorizing the the crew, just have them scaring yeah. them all and <laughs> yeah, we need to make everybody feel <laughs> <get laughs> adrenaline.
1: So yeah, we're gonna just gonna scare you uh, or, or, or we'll, play, or you we'll put you know.
0: them. Yeah, we'll put them in the shuttle bay and we'll depressurize it or something like that.
1: <laughs> We're gonna recreate like alien isolation and have an alien, someone we'll dress up as an alien, and run around <laughs> the ship and everyone's gotta pretend it's real so it can cure these these uh, people. It'd have to be like that episode of Enterprise um Stratagem mm. when um when Degra um, they kind of pretend... um the fake shuttle set up. Yeah, the fake shuttle, and they do a whole set up to make him believe he's in this new, different scenario. Maybe they, they, they would have to do that with, with the crew to make their <laughs> adrenaline levels go up. So, wow, that's an interesting kind of twist on that episode that you know maybe would work in another uh, yeah. context of an episode. But yeah,
0: that's kind of a funny funny
1: way of, thing to think about.
0: Maybe this could have all been stopped a lot sooner had Dr. Wallace just proposed to Kirk. I oh, know, right? You know, if she'd gone like full on stalker or just like pushed or something, just like, no, 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 I'm in love with you. I want to marry you and all this stuff. Maybe that would have been enough to kill him. And she's
1: practically there as it is. I mean, she barely <laughs> factors into the ending at all.
0: No. no mean, um, no, no. you know, she's there on the bridge at the end.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. She, again, she, she really need to be in the episode. It was just like a, either to pad out the running time or they just want to make, so Kirk to be a super stud. You know, like, oh, there's another woman that he, you know, um, had a relationship with. You know, here you go. <laughs> and you're like,
0: okay, cool. Uh, well, one thing that it did show was that he was capable of long-term relationships. Yeah, but unfortunately... And it does kind of, like you were saying, like, it yeah. shows his commitment to the Enterprise. Yeah. But I, I don't feel... It's almost like you don't even get a sense as to why they had a relationship. There does There isn't really any chemistry there. I mean, obviously, he's kind of pushed himself away from that now as well. But, yeah, you you just don't really get...
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like he only really had two significant relationships, I think, apart from, you know, if we disregard all the random alien women that he'd yeah. end up, you know, um, cracking onto in the series. I mean, Carol Marcus is obviously a big one. Um, supposedly might have went, nearly married her as well, um, if she's the same one that's referenced in um, um, When no man Has Gone Before. And then... Uh, this Antonia person we touched upon like earlier when yeah. we were talking about the pets. And we'd kind of weird about what time that actually took place, but it looks like it was after the original series. Um, well, it was after the original series the year that he quotes. I guess, I, again, I'm probably being a little bit cynical about it because, oh, it's the 60s, you know, that's <laughs> what TV shows were like. But it, it also is an attempt to sort of pad out Captain Kirk's character as having a history. Yeah. You know, um, again, we're we're early into Star Trek. We only really know him as being the captain of the Enterprise, and we get little nuggets of historical facts about him as Hmm. the series goes on. And this is like um, just another woman that he he had a relationship with in his, like, 20s or something, I guess. I'm so on the Um, fence of it,
0: with her not really offering much to the episode, but it still adds, like you say, to his background. So she's kind of necessary, but she's kind of not. It's it's not enough either way. I, I feel like it would be bad for her not to be involved at all. But at the same time, it's just, yes. I, I think what it is, is I wish there was more from it. I wish that they'd gone deeper yeah. with it. and uh, Or perhaps had it come up again at another point in the show. Maybe. I don't know. but Yeah, uh, there's value probably in just the fact
1: that she adds a bit of background history to the character of James T. Kirk, yeah. but... That's about it really she could have not been in the episode and it wouldn't have made much difference generally like like, overall i think it's a great um episode i think a lot of credit has to go to the performances of the actors of the uh, you know um, deforest kelly and um william shatner and lenny nimoy they 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 really are great at portraying you know elderly versions of themselves without being um over the top i mean what is happening to kirk as he kind of breaks down it's quite tragic
0: and very sad, and you really feel for him. Yeah. And and you also and you also get the whole kind of moment of like, oh shit, they've crossed the neutral zone, and all the Romulans are coming.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that adds to that, that's another bit of Trek kind of lore as well, isn't yeah. it? There's a neutral zone, yeah. and this is what happens when you go into it, and there's Romulans involved. Yeah, it, um, it really
0: kind of shows that they are they are a threat. Like this is not just like oh we talk about this thing. like yeah, they, they mean business.
1: It establishes the level of, um, you know, the stakes of going into the neutral zone yeah. as well. Like within seconds you'll be under attack, basically. Yeah. So that's you know kind of what they run with for the rest of, you know, the rest of the times that the neutral zone is is referenced. But one one thing as well that just uh, going back to like the performances, of the actors, it kind of reminds me of something I remember about um, uh, Back to the Future. So I'm going to reference Back to the Future again. I remember like on like the DVD special features, they were saying like. The actors that play like Mike McFly's parents um or, you know, anybody that is a Mike McFly that has to portray an older version yeah. of themselves. It's actually very difficult to portray like old people without being over the yeah. top because there are actors that are kind of in their 20s, you know, that was McF- uh, Mike McFly's parents. Um So it was quite hard for them to sort of not be over the top with it.
0: And I think that's the case here. Which is what Bashir is like. Yeah, he really is. He, he really uh, emphasizes like the shakiness and he tries to wobble his voice over the top. And that's where I didn't like that kind of thing. But yeah, you're absolutely right that the, it's a subtle performance for them being older that they do nail very well. I Um, agree
1: entirely. They're not doing any like, like like
0: Kirk's mannerisms,
1: the way he holds his arms and walks around is really good and adds to the whole thing Again, not over the top. He's not wobbling and going around like, you know, being really like trying to look super decrepit you know all the time yeah. um so yeah and that's something that and the way mccoy becomes more like southern doctor <laughs> gradually through the episode is really funny as well Well, not f- it's it is kind of charming and funny but obviously you know it's it's just tragic and sad as just well because of what's ha- happening to- yeah and and i love um how they stumble across the an- the 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 solution the, the antidote mm. um it doesn't have that Voyager. Let's all talk techno babble, and then we'll just say this is what fixes um, everything, and people don't need to understand it. It's very clear, concise. You know, using kind of real science of like you know that we're familiar with nowadays that we can kind of wrap our head around. Um, radiation and adrenaline cures radiation, and we should try that. It's that's it, yeah. but basically, and I think that's great. That's a great way to, you know, to for the solution to come around. I thought that was great.
0: Absolutely. I agree entirely. And that wraps up this episode of Long Range Sensors. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach us via Twitter at Star Trek LRS, via our website at longrangesensors.com, and you can even email us at at iCloud.com. If you enjoyed the show and would like to help supporters, you can subscribe via Patreon to receive exclusive member benefits, including access to our private Discord channel, where you can discuss this episode with us and more by joining the crew of the USS Atlantic at patreon.com slash range sensors. Our next episode will also be a special episode to celebrate our first 10-episode milestone, during which we'll be announcing some additional perks that we're going to be adding for our Patreon supporters. So keep an eye out for that one. Of course, another great way to help support the show is to let others know about it. Telling a friend, sharing it on social media, or sneaking into conversation with someone at the dog park goes a long way to help our show reach even more people, allowing us to grow the show further. My name is Alistair, and you can find everything I'm up to at alistairmcfly.com. And you can follow me at both at Alistair McFly and at imcfly on Twitter. And you can also catch me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Alistair McFly. Trev, where can people find you? Uh, Yeah, you can follow me at Henry Jones Jr. on Twitter.
1: Um, And you can also check out my other podcast, uh, which is about modern and retro video gaming um, with my co-host Stu. And that's over at consoleshop.net. And we also upload episodes to all the podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, all those. So yeah, you can catch me there.
0: You've been listening to Long Range Sensors, where we always transmit on code three.